no, all your questions are not dumb. All your questions are coming from a society that has interests that aren't in children's best interests. Um, I mean, obviously, we are born into families, into a culture, and obviously, part of of being human is that our interests diverge with other people's interests. And this is the ongoing thing that we all have to contend with all our lives. So it's kind of good if we just sort of lay that on the table and talk about, I want this, you want that, what should we do about it? Rather than you will do as I say. Welcome to this week's podcast. It's a real treat. Uh, it's something that I feel I need to listen to every week. Um, it's on the topic of parenting, something that's so dear to my heart. And I think many people didn't often spoke to me about the joys of parenting, but seldom was I kind of made aware of that. To, to, to experience that degree of love, I think there's a, there's a the equally as challenges and hard. Uh, we This week, we had a conversation with the wonderful Philippa Perry. Yeah, she's cool. What a cool woman. I look forward to Hopefully, someday we get to hang out with her. It was just really insightful. I had a list of like so many questions. And just when she started talking, everything made sense that I didn't need to a- answer ha- half of them. Like, as Stephen said, it's a podcast I would genuinely like to listen to every week because there was so much learnings in it. In terms of all relationships, not just parenting. So if you're not a parent out there, like it was about basic principles that supersede no matter what relationship you're having about seeing the other where it's at you know really empathizing with someone else and not fit like it was just really really and ultimately it kind of brought down to kind of self-awareness and the ability to empathize with others it's universal truths expressed in such beautiful ways we had such a laugh and it was so poignant even like when philippa ended with the hairs in the back of my neck stood up and i just felt like Oh, I feel like I've just got like... No, a, it was a, a beautiful whole... hour. It was really a beautiful hour. So I look forward to it. Genuinely, let us know what you think about it. Thanks for watching all uh, and listening to our other podcasts. We really appreciate it and the feedback. We're delighted you're enjoying it. But them. yeah, please uh, enjoy this podcast. It was a joy for us to record. Philip is amazing. She's written the best-selling book and she's just a really inspiring human. Yeah, so enjoy and let us know what you think on social. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mel Philip. Well, I'll, I'll jump straight in. Uh, can, can I just give one little context, which was really cool, which I, I really enjoyed. But um, like we, we got to a friend a couple of years ago, maybe it was a year ago, sent me on a podcast you did with Rangan Chatterjee. And I thought it was amazing and fabulous and really got so much out of it. And then we've recently started a podcast club, which is like a book club where it's a group of friends and each week someone will pick a different podcast. And Yvonne, who um, is a ceramic artist, she's a ceramic artist and she chose one with Grayson. Uh, and he was doing a, he was talking, he was wearing a dress and he was just talking about the creative process. And it was fabulous. And we had such a great conversation around it. And then when I found out he was your husband, I thought, wow, that's so cool. So yeah, anyway, imagine. that was imagine. incredible. No, yeah. no, more so just that, I, I guess, the first point of contact was you and just how impressive I was or how impressed I was with York. Anyway, as a, dyna- as a dynamic duo, really, I guess that's yeah. just acknowledging. Power but, couple, that's what we are. Power sorry. couple. Wow. I think Very cool strong. people doing cool stuff. Our power is, but, you know. Superpowers. Do you, are you competitive then in a sense or not yeah. competitive at all? Yeah. It's you not are. Really competitive, but you know, we have we, we have work to do in ourselves. Yeah, we are a bit competitive. I mean, he's won, but um doesn't stop me trying. <laughs> <laughs> Dead, right. Um, so in terms of 
parenting, one thing I'd love to ask you is, you know, e- each generation will have its own issues. Like if I look back to say my my parents when they were kids and they were being parented, my mom often spoke that she barely knew her father and that it was much more formal times and it was children should be seen, not heard. Like taking that into the kind of modern day parenting, what are the challenges of being a parent nowadays that you see? I think um, the biggest challenge is honouring our children's bids for attention. Mm. Because we get so conflicted about that. We've got this um, mistaken belief that children should be independent as soon as possible. And we also have the mistaken belief that we as adults are somehow not dependent upon each other. We are born dependent and we stay dependent all our lives. It's just that our dependence changes from being dependent on our parents to being dependent on our peer group, dependent on the farmers who plough the fields, dependent on the people who make deliveries to the supermarket. But we are dependent on our friends, our colleagues, our teams, our lovers, and indeed upon our children. This idea of independence, it interferes with the the primary relationship between children and parents. And I think if if you want your kid to be independent, then maybe get a cat, not, <laughs> not a kid. I like wow. that. So it's, and how do we cultivate more independence then? Because... We don't want to cultivate. Oh yeah, okay. Sorry, no, I mean, how do how do we how do we manage that in a society that kind of like has us so like if I think back to the cultural norms nowadays, we're all busy, busier than probably our parents were, and like you know, back when we were kids, our mom stayed at home with us. Whereas nowadays, there's less parents staying at home and being staying at home parents, and like it seems like you want to have it all. Like people want to have a career, we want to have abs, we want to be able to run, we want to do you know. We, anyway, whatever we want to. The, the, I'm just talking about these things, and, and how do we manage this with? trying to cultivate a better relationship with kids or is that just a stupid question one of the great things about the pandemic and let's face it there weren't many was watching people work from home at the same time they were trying to homeschool their kids so you'd get a profession a professor of something terribly important i don't know virology or something giving some very important stats and information and then you get a three-year-old crawling all over him I love that. I think, <laughs> yes, don't push the kid away. Kids are part of life. Why are we pretending they can exist in another room? Um, so take your kids to work. Let them crawl all over you. And um, it's really important for a child when they're growing up to feel that they are important to their parents and their parents like them. Um, being told that you're loved only goes so far. Feeling that you're liked and enjoyed by your parents goes a lot further. And so I think that, I mean, obviously, sometimes we have to separate from one or other parent, and we might not want to when we're children, but I don't think we should minimize the pain they go through about that. Yeah, it's hurting that I'm going to work. I'm sorry you don't want me to go. I'm going to go now. Daddy's going to look after you or nanny's going to look after you. 
and I'll be back by tea time. Mm. And uh, you won't like it. Sorry. Rather than pretending that you're going to have a lovely time with Nanny. And then you don't. You just feel like, well, I'm bad on two counts. You know, I shouldn't be feeling this because I haven't been given permission to feel this. And um, I'm not enjoying myself. And she said I would enjoy myself. Um, We shouldn't tell people what they're going to feel whatever age they are, they'll feel what they feel. And if we tell them they're going to enjoy something and then they don't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel great. It's like when somebody says, oh, you'll love this friend that I'm going to introduce, you'll love them. I'm already going, <laughs> what if I don't? You know? Feel under pressure so almost. Let's do that to our children. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny that it's, it's thought that you can have children without altering your life at all. It's a massive alteration in your life when you have children. And the great thing is we have birth control if you don't want your life to be altered. Um, You know, you don't have to have children, but if you do have children, you have to give them attention, loving attention, attention that makes them feel wanted. Yeah, yeah, totally. Great reminder. Yeah. Uh, can I ask a question? Yeah. So, so th- th- this is one thing which is me as a parent. So I have two kids. Steve has three kids. Mine are ten and nearly eight. And one thing which I find my kids, and this isn't going to be a therapy session about me and my kids and whatever, but I think it's a general one that most parents will be able to relate to, is that like I want my kids to love me. I want them to love me. I absolutely do. And I want like, and my kids want sweets, obviously. They want sweets. They want chocolate bars. They want all the nice sugary things. And as a parent, I want to make them feel good. And they think sweets is, you know, sweets makes them feel good. And how do I manage this relationship? But wanting them to being the parent where I doing what I know I should do. And then, but also being sensitive to their emotional kind of well-being. You know, like when I think back to our parents, our parents era, really, it's more a generational thing. It was more like, you know, we were, we were, there was more kind of structure and more, we, they were less concerned about our mental health, you know, whereas nowadays we're much more concerned about our emotional health. And I, sometimes I, I might overcompensate and be more empathetic to my kids. And how do I manage this? Stop being self-conscious about it, I think. And, okay, let's do a role play. That's fine. Great. I am your kid, right? It's uh, half past 12 in the morning. We're about to have lunch. And I want an ice cream now. No, you cannot have an ice cream because you're going to have your vegetables now shortly. (laughs) Okay, should we do it again? You be the kid this time. Okay. Okay. Um, I I don't feel like lunch. Dad, uh, can we just get an ice cream on our way down the town when we're getting lunch? Oh, you want an ice cream, don't you? You don't want the boring old vegetables and sausages I've just got ready. You want an ice cream, and that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yes. Sugary and creamy and sweet. You want an ice cream, and I'm going to disappoint you. I'm sorry. You're going to have to have sausages and vegetables, and there's going to be no ice cream today. Sorry about that. You're probably very disappointed. Very disappointed. You're very disappointed, yes. Yeah. And I don't like you now. You I don't, don't like you. Me. No, I well, don't. I love you, which is why I'm giving you vegetables. Because ice cream would make your teeth drop out and vegetables would make you grow big and strong. And it's 
what we call delayed gratification, which will probably mean more to you later. Wow. So, so the, whole, the whole approach is more acknowledging what the child is feeling and exactly. kind of not telling them not to feel it. Like, you know, it's... Yeah. So when your teenager asks you for a new, can I have a new computer, Dad? You go, that's a very good question. I'm afraid the answer is negative, but it was a good question. And I like your ambition there. You know, yeah. you don't tell a child off for their wants and their feelings and their needs. So you don't go, no. Okay. You go, can I have an ice cream instead of lunch? That's a good question. But the answer is no. And I feel sorry for you because you obviously want an ice cream very much. Everything you're saying is totally exactly what I want to say all the time. And my wife is very like you in that she has this, she really focuses on the relationship with the children and often I feel envious of it. And sometimes I'll come in with that, that, that answer that I'm not meant to go there. No. And then I get corrected and I'm like, how do we, like, I think it's important to forget, at least I try to kind of forgive myself, but also I feel a bit embarrassed after I go, no. And it's like, oh shit, I wasn't meant to do it. Oh, and then I apologize to my kids and they say, that's cool. That is cool. And nobody gets this right 100% of the time. Your kids need you to be authentic. And your no is authentic. Yeah, they scream and cry when you say it, like in in that tone. But then you are learning that it's not a great thing to do. But in the moment, you're authentic. And what you're also authentic when, oh, I wish I hadn't shouted then. I wish I'd been more sympathetic to you wanting a new computer and an ice cream. Yes. It's... Rupture, I call this rupture and repair. Everybody does something they regret in a relationship. I'll probably do something I regret in this podcast. And then I can go, oh, my bad, when I've done it. Now, I'm not saying we can do everything we want because we can always apologize for it later. But I'm saying when we do inevitably mess up, we can say, I shouldn't have done that. And why that's important is your kid knows you shouldn't have done it. And so you're not eradicating their instinct. You're not making them think, daddy shouted, so I must be a bad person. Mm. You don't want them to think that. Daddy shouted, and then he said, sorry, he's had a hard day. (laughs) (laughs) Last week in our podcast club, we did... um drug abuse and addiction in teenagers. And when they did surveys on these teenagers that suffered with addiction, the number one thing that they wished that their parents did was that they loved them for who they were and accept them for who they were, not who they wanted. And it's like, when you hear that, my heart just goes, oh. And it's like, how do we as a society really focus on that more? Because ultimately that's, that's what unconditional love is, isn't it? What a psychotherapist does for their client is um, they want to be with and accept their client where they are now and who they are. And they're interested in who they are, who they want to be, who they will be. They are not interested in who they think they should be. So we need to get all the shoulds out of it. Let's not should, let's just, you know, clear back the weeds and see how the plant grows rather than tether a plant to a frame it doesn't fit. I think accepting each of us for who we are is incredibly important. Where you are now is good enough. Exactly where you are now is good enough. Exactly where I am now is good enough. And we should extend that to our children. 
Um, I think fear is a, an emotion that is harnessed by the media because it grabs your attention. So if you can be made fearful, your teeth are fine, but what about your gums? Okay, there's a little bit of fear creeping in there that all my teeth are going to drop out because of my gums, okay? And this is like the background of headlines in newspapers, sort of like, you know, riots again. Not, not you know, the rest of the country was really quiet and peaceful, but there was a riot on this street here, there, and you should be really frightened about it, even though it's 400 miles away from where you live. Yeah, you can be interested in it, but you don't have to be frightened. So newspapers... The news, adverts, they're all trying to be making us frightened the whole time. So we watch and we buy stuff and we click on stuff. And this has been going on since the 50s, since advertising came around. So now we've got this sort of default fear thing. So what if my kid doesn't pass any exams and then doesn't get a job and then starves to death? And so I'm going to make my kid who likes running around outside and jumping on the back of horses sit still and um learn Shakespeare off by heart even though he has no inclination to do that because I want to make him somebody he's not whereas if I just let him run around the fields he'd probably find a life for himself where he can support himself running around fields we should help children become who they are, not force them into our fantasy of what they should be. It's so important. And quite often when we desire something, what we really desire is a good connection. And the first people we can have a connection with are our parents. And we want, we want to be seen, understood, and feel connected, feel like we have true contact with the people around us. So we learn how to make contact with human beings. So we learn that we can make an impact and that we'll be impacted and we're important and we've got this contact. Now, if we don't have that, and it's dangerous to want it because we're never going to get it because everybody's too busy for us or they want us to be something we're not. We're going to start developing a sort of void inside us, a, a sort of want, just a feeling of wanting and needing. And we're going to fill that with shopping or with drugs or with computer clicks or, or some game or other that's addictive and wipes out the rest of our feeling. And so if we don't want our children to become addicted to shopping or heroin, it's a great idea to meet them where they are, not where we think they should be, and to enjoy them and to want them. And then there's no guarantees they still won't become heroin addicts, but it's just less likely. Yeah, the, but they sound like such like everything you're saying there sounds like universal truths to every relationship like when I think of you know whether with Stephen whether with Sarah whether with my parents like to see them where they're at to listen to their feelings and to care about them and love them like they're universal things that transcend specific specificities of what relationship it might be nice word Dave thanks Steve uh, and, and being with the thing about being with people is sometimes it's uncomfortable 
because sometimes they're feeling things we wish they didn't. I mean, we especially want our children to be happy. We love them. We want them to be happy. And when they're not, we can also be tempted sometimes to try and scold them into mm. happiness rather than be with them where they are. Like my daughter, when she failed her driving test, said to me, oh, mum, I feel so ashamed. And I was going, don't be ashamed, darling. It's nothing to, nothing to be ashamed of just because you failed the driving test. She's went, you know, she knows me well. She's went, no, mum, I just want a hug. So then I had to just feel her pain of not passing her driving test. Now, that is a very, you know, light example. But people don't want to be fixed. They don't want to be told not to feel something when they're feeling it. They want you to feel it with them. And that is hard when someone is sad or angry or unhappy. But... That's what real empathy is. It's putting those shoes on, their shoes on, and, and being with them. And it's so much easier to want to fix. But you know when you've got a streaming cold and you're feeling pretty miserable because you've caught a bloody cold, and you say to your mate, oh, I've got a cold, and they go, have you tried gar gargling with turmeric? You just want to go, fuck, fuck off. And I say, <laughs> What I want from you is sympathy, <laughs> not a recipe for gargling with turmeric. Thank you. <laughs> or turmeric chai tea, or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> or kinesia, you know, up your left nostril. No, stop it. Just be nice to me when I've got a cold. Don't think you have to cure me. So I think it's sort of like, don't fix, feel with. Don't deal with, feel with. And actually, that's easier than trying to fix. I think that's such a, like, it's something that, you know, me, me and Dave were in our family. It's four boys. And we grew up in a lot of, you know, we played a lot of rugby and we went to all boys schools. And unfortunately, a lot of what we were taught in terms of emotional through that upbringing was very much fix as opposed to feel like the feeling bit. You're a bit like, what's a feeling? This type of thing. So for any other men that are listening and have a similar upbringing, humans, uh, humans okay, listening. humans that have a predisposition to want to fix as opposed to empathize. How do we try to build more empathy? How, how, is there any particular way or is it just something well, just to be more mindful and focused good on? Good idea is to, is to ask a woman. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because we sort of us aren't so much brought up thinking they have to solve every problem. They can be with a problem. It's cultural, isn't it? Yeah, in lots of ways. You know, when your wife tells you she's miserable, don't try and fix it. Just have go. you done yoga yet today? Why don't we go for a walk? Let's go <laughs> oh, get a hot chocolate. Nice. It's like, what would you like? Oh, what how does that you feel? Like? You know, oh, do you um, feel stressed or? Yeah. yeah. What can I do for you? What would you like? And she might say, "Could you go away?" And you go, "Well, I'd rather be with you in your pain." She go, "Really?" Nah, and go down the shops. So yeah, it, it's so much. E don't worry about how to be with. It's so much easier than having to fix. Yeah, you just right. have to be with and go. That sounds bad. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, I remember the few times I've done it, it's been like, 
wow, this is a real really breakthrough. How can I do more of this? And then, unfortunately, the you know the prescript comes in. Cheerful the whole time, and you really <laughs> get <an> opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> now then, they catch on to you and go, "You're trying some some." Technique you learned in a book, Stephen. <laughs> Stop being a robot. A friend of mine sort of learned a technique which sort of worked for a while with her son. And she said things like, oh, I can see you're really angry. And then after a while, she said, you're putting on that voice again. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be authentic. Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. see through you. You can, now, you can experiment with new behavior and it doesn't feel authentic, but your old behavior is just a habit. It's no more, um, it's no more authentic than new behavior. So just keep practicing. And, yeah, and even, even on that topic, when I think of like how I can cultivate more preferred behaviors in my children, like even when I talk about them, like getting them to do jobs around the house or getting them to do things or changing new behaviors. And I've got an analogy for this because a friend of mine, he trains horses and he says like, yeah, sure. I can like, I can kind of bully the horse into doing whatever I want. I can kind of make it do whatever I want. But he said, the real magic is when you build enough trust and connection with the horse and the horse will want to do what you want to do. And he said, that's where the magic is. And I think parenting, there must be some similarity to that. And I, I do get wisps of it every now and again. I go, oh my God, it's happening. I'm a really good parent in this moment. And then it disappears and I'm back Maybe to just fumbling along. Maybe they wanted to tidy their room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so how do we cultivate these better behaviors? Like, how do we... Like, cause, cause I, cause I listened to you talk about manipulation and I was kind of, I felt kind of guilty in myself. You talked about, we manipulate our kids going, if you clean your room, I'll give you a nice pop or whatever it might be or, or that type of thing. So how do we, how do we cultivate, how do I, what are other strategies I can use to better cultivate preferred behaviors? How would you like it? Okay, sorry. About their relationship with you, David. And, and they were thinking, what strategies can I adopt? to make um, David bring me a coffee every time I feel I want one. I mean, I wonder how I could strategize. <laughs> okay, now, now I feel... feel? I, don't feel I don't feel good about that now, Philippa. No, don't <laughs> right. Okay, change the word okay. anyway. You know what I mean. Try and help you. First of all, think long-term. Don't think in terms of tricks and tips and hacks. Think long-term and realize the most important thing between you and your child is the relationship. They'll be sort of in the moment. You've got a longer term thing, but you can be in the moment too. Now remember that all communicate, all uh, behavior is communication. So if they um, stomp about and slam doors, you can help them try and put that into words. You know, sort of like, I don't like it when you slam the door, but I understand you're angry. Can you help me out here and tell me what's going on? You know, what, what make, what's making you angry? And um, get, get people to try and articulate what's wrong. Sometimes you have to help them with that. So if you sound angry, that sort of thing. Get them to articulate what's wrong so they don't act out what's wrong. Because acting out what's wrong is usually behaving in a way you find inconvenient, which is what we kind of don't want. But if you enjoy their company, they'll enjoy hanging out with you. Now, let's take emptying the dishwasher. 
when my this might be too late your boys are eight and ten but when my daughter was two she saw i was emptying the dishwasher and she wanted a part of that action right so um i sat on my instinct to go no and i let her take every single plate out and spread them all over the kitchen floor and then put them all back in the dishwasher and then spread them out all over the kitchen floor again. So she began to associate the dishwasher with fun, joint activity and love. When you associate an activity with love, it feels good to do it. So when you do something with your parents, so when you, when you let your inept toddler wash the car with you and they get covered in water and, and not much washing goes on. Indiscernibly, year by year, they get better at emptying the dishwasher, they get better at washing the car, they get better at changing the sheets because you've made it a fun job to change the sheets because you hide the baby in the sheets and you just go like that and you toss them about and it's a laugh. And so they associate fun with chores. And even you will start to associate chores with fun as well. If you can just stay in the present and be with your kid while you're doing it. And I thought, well, I'm going to go down this route and see what happens. And I've got a kid that empties and loads the dishwasher without even noticing she's doing it. Now, wasn't really manipulation. It was like, let's just share the joy of emptying the dishwasher. And when you see your two-year-old has joy in emptying the dishwasher, it's quite funny. I love that. Because it like, I think that's like what you said about kind of slowing down and being present and kind of go through the process as opposed to looking for the outcome. That's, I think, what so much of it is. Because even last night... Well put, yeah. Yeah, because even last night we were... We were having dinner outside in the garden and Ned, he, Ned, my son Ned is four and he's a remarkable little man and powerful. And when Ned wants something, Ned will let you know. And he was just, he was running around the garden screaming and kept kind of, you know, taking his clothes off and he just would not allow anyone to have a conversation. And my initial instinct was, Ned, sit down and eat your dinner and just stop shouting. Whereas after I did that, I realized he was just looking for attention. And if I just went over and said, Ned, it seems like you want my attention. What will we do? And we went, we ended up going for a run after I shouted at him. But yeah. I think so much of it is, is the ability, as you mentioned, to be present, to, to, yeah. to acknowledge the, the kind of the nonverbal communication that children give in every moment. You can go to the top of the class now. Yeah! <laughs> Am I at the bottom? Because we're not no, competitive at all. No, you're not at the bottom. It was a very good question, an excellent question. And one I needed to remind myself of the answer of. So you did very well. <laughs> well done, Steve. 10 out of 10. Thank you, Philippa. Thanks a million. Uh, okay. In terms of my eldest child now, May, uh, she's 10 and she's going to be a teenager. Would you, it, it, obviously it's a similar thing to focus on relationship, but I find it hard not to feel frightened at the concept of one, the introduction of social media and phones inevitably will most likely happen. What, how do we manage this relationship in terms of phones? What are your thoughts on this in terms of it's a could, new could we go back? Could we go back to teenagers first? Okay, yeah, Even, could we start with that transition? Because maybe other people listening, their kids, and if anyone has kids, young kids, they will one day be teenagers. 
please God, please God. Uh, but, so what would your thoughts be? <laughs> uh, teenagers are my favourites. Really? love them. Little mini adults. And what is so beautiful about the teenager is that biologically, they know you're going to die first. So biologically, they know they need a new tribe to belong to because biologically, they know that human beings can't survive on their own. So in order to leave you their first uh, group, their first tribe, they're going to have to make you horrible because you can't leave gorgeous, lovely mummy and daddy if they're gorgeous. So... They're going to have to make you horrible. So they're going to pick fights with you. And don't do what I did when my daughter told me to go, fuck off, mum. And I went, oh, darling, you're separating. No, that's bad, bad. I shouldn't have done that. But I'm so steeped in my PRJ, my developmental psychology, that I was excited about this new, new um, stage. So you keep the boundaries, okay? And you keep the boundaries by giving I statements and not you statements. That's really important. So you say things like, I see you want to take the night bus at two o'clock in the morning back from Peckham Rye to uh, Trafalgar Square, and you want to do this on your own. You know what? You're really good at buses, and I think you are capable of getting on the right bus and sorting that out for yourself. But unfortunately, I'm not ready to let you do it. You're going to have to wait for me to catch up with how mature you are. Because to me, it was only yesterday you were six. Now, I know you're 14 now, and, but you've just got to wait for me. And I go, oh, I hate you. But they'll accept that you're talking about them and not about... They'll accept that they're talk, you're talking about you and not about them. So define yourself and not them. Never say something, you are way not mature enough to get the night bus. Go, I'm not ready for you to get the night bus yet. That, that will help your relationship. They'll still go, oh, dad. But <laughs> take them seriously, but don't take them having to hate you personally. They have to hate you to find the new tribe. And think of, I think it was Mark Twain who said, uh, when I was 12, my dad was so stupid. He knew nothing. Now I'm 21. He's come on remarkably. <laughs> <laughs> and so will you. Bide your time. Keep calm. Hold their emotions without it destroying you. Don't let their... their they're push, pushing away, destroy you, hold them, keep showing that you like them and love them. They will go off, find a new tribe. And when they're secure in their new university friends or, or they've got a girlfriend, I mean, quite often the way, the easiest way to feel freer from your family of origin is to have your first sexual partner, your, your early sexual partner. So, you know, there will be some sexual shenanigans going on. Just be really embarrassing and leave loads of condoms around the place. <laughs> now, it's really important that your girl children know that they are liked, they are fun, they are more than their looks. And it's really important when they're growing up to accept all their feelings and never tell them not to be silly about anything because when inevitably something horrible 
happens at their school or something like um, they get upskirted or groped, um, you can stop that right there because they can come to you. It's very difficult for children to come to their parents about sexual matters. But you can say, if anyone does anything to you, you don't like, you can tell me and um, we will brainstorm about what you want to do about it so that it doesn't happen again. Girls need to uh, know that they're good enough exactly as they are, where they are, and they don't need any boy to define them or, or find them sexy or anything. And boys really need educating about not going along with the pack and objectifying girls and women. That's so important. We must educate our boys as to, um, as to consent. So you can't make a, re a, a remark about somebody's body and, and, unless you've got consent about that. And, and so this consent isn't just about whether or not to have sexual intercourse. Consent is, your daughter must know, I do not consent for you to make a remark about my, about my new breasts that weren't here yesterday, actually. <laughs> um, and boys have to understand that they cannot cross that line because this is where we have been lacking hitherto in educating our boys because they've been grouping together and sort of like learning new sexual language and our girls have been victims of this and girls want to be popular and if they're lacking a little bit in um, confidence and a boy says you know you'll be popular if if you let me take a picture of your boobs or something they've got to learn they've got to know that they don't need to do that and they'll know they don't need to do that if they've got confidence. Wow, Ooh, that all sounds frightening. She said, I'm afraid to be a parent of a teenager. Everything well, you said, you I totally agree. So I know, no. absolutely. Oof. And I think it's, I think, I think everything you said, I agree wholeheartedly. And I really... We need to, people are always saying, oh, girls shouldn't do this, girls shouldn't do that. But actually, we've really got to educate our boys. 100%. what consent means. And consent means you don't make a remark about somebody's body unasked thank you very much and if, if you're in a group of boys and there's just boys there and you're going look at her tits somebody's going look at her tits or something your son has got to be the one saying that's not acceptable we can't talk about other people like that brilliant that's so good genuinely it's yeah it's sort of like oh girls shouldn't go out on their own at night no they're not the problem. It's boys that run after them and try and pull their skirts down. You know, it's so maybe boys can't go out alone at night. Yeah, nice change of the thing. Well, wow, that's okay. The other part of that question, which we started going, and now I feel I feel scared about my two little daughters. Oh my goodness! But okay, uh, social media is one thing, and phone usage and those things. Because when we were growing up, there was no phones. Like we got our first phone, we were. 20 something you know they yeah. just didn't really exist and even then it was just a, a dumb phone like it was an old nokia phone and i'd never had a social media account on my personal name i never had that thing you know we've obviously had business ones yeah. been the happy pair but uh like this whole world is kind of it's been unfolding now for the last 15 or 20 years and what advice would you give to parents about phones and social media and how to navigate their way through that i think the advice i give is Prepare to be educated by your children about it. Because if you don't know about it, 
they certainly do. Uh, they've grown up with it. Uh, social media and smartphones and computers have been shaping their brains, I'd say. And our brains aren't shaped like that. So the best per people to ask are our children. I think we mustn't get into the idea that the kids are the done-tos and we are the doers. We don't want to get into a doer and done-to relationship. We want mutual impact. And I think around phones and social media is something that we can get educated by, by our children. And then if we get them to say, you know, if you ask them, what do you think is acceptable? What is unacceptable? What are the dangers? What are the pitfalls? What are the advantages? They can teach you that and they will know that. And they will give you the right answers, obviously, but that will reiterate what needs to be done. And if it comes from them, it's more likely to be adhered to than if it comes from you. Because don't forget, they are separating from you to form their own tribe. So anything you say is stupid. Mm. So you get them to brainstorm and tell you and you allow them to educate you. And how does that relate to at what age? You know the way, because as the parent, we, we'll be the prime kind of ones of deciding when would be a time for but, them to get a smartphone. But if you listen to what Philippa said, she said it's having a dialogue with, say, Elsie and kind of discussing what does she think is most appropriate. And, you know, yeah. the more you can get her to. But then the I would also kind of go, though. Okay, What's sorry. appropriate for one 12 year old might not be appropriate for another 12 year old. You've got individual relationships with each of your children. And, you know, if I had a child who had chronic ADHD and kept losing their keys in their satchel, I wouldn't give them a phone until they got a bit more mindfulness so they wouldn't lose the bloody thing. Um, I'd say, I think we'll have a standalone computer at the desk that you don't lose. <laughs> because <laughs> you feel gutted if you lost it, <laughs> maybe. Um, uh, so, you know, each child, you know, what's appropriate for each child, I'm not going to give a blanket rule of an age. And um, ask, ask the teachers. Ask the head, because the head might like a policy of no phones, no phones at school or something. And so ask your respective head teachers and form teachers about what they think. You don't have to do this stuff on your own. You can get other people to help you, people that know your child. Yeah, a friend of ours is the chaplain in a local school and he... He obviously, when teenagers have problems in the school, they go to him. So he listens to all this type of stuff. And he his advice was in terms of phone usage. He said that, well, don't give your kid a smartphone unless until you're ready for them to watch porn by themselves, because that's such a predominant issue with yeah. teenagers nowadays. And that was his thing. It was like, for real? And he was like, yeah, genuinely, that's what, it, you know. Yeah. And that's not a great way to learn about sex. Oh, because of course. Then, then you have a huge gap between your your masturbatory fantasy about what a body, another body is like and the real thing. And um, it actually, it gets in the way of your sexual relationships and your sexual development if you watch early porn. I don't know what we can do about that. I've got a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's hard. Mm, totally. It's not great, is it? <clears throat> no, huge, big challenge. Massive. It, teenager it, stuff it, it sounds hard. The, sort of like your early sexual experiences kind of form what you tend to fetishize and fancy later on. So if your early sexual experiences are all kind of like 
uh, surgically altered people with no pubic hair um, that don't smell of anything um, and uh, are very visually one way of looking. I mean, the only way you're going to replicate that is more porn and you're not going to find a sexual relationship with another person particularly easy, I don't think, after after being formed in relationship with with porn on your phone. So I think 21 is a good good time to start with smartphones. Maybe 30, actually. <laughs> there, was some, there was some study yesterday in Germany where it's... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were telling Justina me something. Me. Yeah, well, tell. Um, moving on, just because just I know we don't have a huge amount of time with you, Philip, but one thing that I, I loved that you said was that you know, the importance of creativity and imagination in parenting. And you said, uh, like I saw it in an interview where you mentioned that often you have to kind of be quiet and allow the whisperings of creativity and ideas just come like wild. I think you said like little elves in the woods or something, forest elves or something beautiful like that. And I was like, oh, when that's so cool. Bunny, when a little bunny rabbit comes to the clearing in the woods and you want to make friends with a little bunny rabbit, don't tell the little bunny rabbit it's just made a bad idea because it will go back into the woods and you'll never see it again. Love the analogy. So when children brainstorm their ideas or show you their drawings, encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Daddy, I think it's a really good idea if I have a smartphone. I am eight years old and my friend Joshua has got one. That's a very good idea. Let's think about that. You know, don't just dismiss everything they suggest out of hand. But so what other ideas have you got for um, filling your need for connection? <laughs> oh, that's nice. Wow. Oof. It's such a different approach. Like ultimately, like if I try to distill a huge amount of what you're saying, it almost comes with more personal awareness of what emotions I say I am feeling and connect that and reflect that to what my child is feeling. Ultimately, it's awareness, isn't it? It's awareness. And the awareness also has to be what would I feel I was eight years old and I felt the huge desire for a smartphone or a computer or a pair of very expensive boots or whatever it is. So you empathize with that. And if you are on, on board with interacting with your kid having true dialogue true conversation conversation where you're changed and they're changed you know proper conversation where we're not manipulating each other but we're being impacted by each other so it's to and fro turn taking proper dialogue then there won't be so much of that empty void inside a person that they need to fill with a smartphone or new boots. And it's kind of like that sense of the presence of playing, of engaging. When we have desires for things, what I think they are for is they are replacement feeling because the desire for connection and relationship is not being met. So for instance, I can really long for a new frock or something, really want a new dress. Because I feel like I'm not good enough in my old dress. And I'd feel sort of more confident if I had a new dress. I'm not good enough in my old dress to go to this party, so I need a new dress. That's sort of feeling like I can't make connections with people unless I look a certain way. 
it's not it's not great and uh anyway that's where i am at the moment i'm hoping to develop past this thing but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, question, i like I, your dress philippa yeah i think, I think it's, great. it's a bit black but yeah uh, uh, one thing which I thought thought came to me there is, do you ever hear of like people where they sit down with their kids and they go like for for me as a parent, par- like as a parent, go, hey, uh, how am I doing as a parent, girls? Can we sit down and give me some oh, feedback no. on how I'm doing as a parent? Do you ever do something like that, or is that a stupid idea? Sounds like it's a stupid awesome. idea. Will you tell me why? <laughs> you're, you're you're encouraging them to judge. Oh, good one. Okay. No. Listen, when, we're not psychologists. We're just doing our best here. When you go out for a coffee with someone, how often do you go, hi, how's this coffee going? How am I doing as a friend in this coffee situation? It's unnatural. It's weird. You go out for a coffee with your mate and you have a coffee and you have a chat and you exchange information and you allow them to influence you and they allow you to influence them. That's all that... That's a relationship. Have a relationship with your children. I think it's great if we get into the habit as soon as the baby is born, as thinking as the baby as a person, not as a kid that is done to, but a person to relate to. You know, always relating, never never kind of like judging someone. How are you doing as a child? You know, how are you doing as a parent? Oh no, come on. Well, maybe maybe it's more how do I do it better? Or how do I, you know? It's a bit like you saying like learning from them, uh, talking with them when they might get a smartphone or those type of things. Okay, and it's more like how, how would I be better. a better parent? They'll tell yeah. you how to do it better. They'll say, well, if I could have ice cream before lunch, that would be a huge, huge amount of progress on your part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, I gotcha. Okay. I mean, okay. some things you know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, really. they will tell you. They go, "It's not fair," and you go, "Yeah, that's a point. Let's have a think about that." It it feels unfair for you right now. I wonder if we. I wonder if that's got to be accepted, or is there something we can all do in a way that we're all happy with? I mean, let's teach compromise early on. The sense that we can. So we can comp- you know, if 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 somebody's got, I don't know, uh, their godfather gives them a new bicycle, so they're the only one with a new bicycle, and the other girls, like, it's not fair. And um, then there's a fight about the bicycle or whatever. You just go, okay, guys, Houston, we have a problem. This family is richer to the tune of one bicycle, and yet it seems to be causing a problem. What solutions can you think of? It's my bicycle, you gave it to me. Right, okay, and this is causing a lot of eruptions. You're having a lot of arguments with your brother about the bicycle. Um, What do you feel about it? I think I should have a go on the bicycle occasionally. So, where are we now? Is is there any way you're going to move about sharing this bicycle at all so that we can all benefit from it? You know, just keep, let's just keep brainstorming, read the bike. And it might be, no, I really need something that's just mine and mine alone. I'll go, okay, well, I can't afford another bicycle right now. So when Johnny's playing with his bicycle, how about you and me have a lovely game of Ludo, just us two? How's that? You know, you'll find a way through. 
It's mm. a lovely, soft approach, which really acknowledges sort of where like, the child is at. Don't forget what children want is they want to play, they want to feel free, they want to go with their flow, and they need connection. Ta-da! See, see yeah. Well, yeah, when, when you say when it like you describe that, it like that, it's like, Philip, you're so right. Well, yes! it, like all my questions are dumb because they're just not relevant. Like it's back to stop looking no, at a kid all as it like. Questions are not dumb. All your questions are coming from a society that has interests that aren't in children's best interests. Um, I mean, obviously, we are born into families, into a culture. And obviously, part of, of being human is that our interests diverge with other people's interests. And this is the ongoing thing that we all have to contend with all our lives. So it's kind of good if we just sort of lay that on the table and talk about, I want this, you want that, what should we do about it? Rather than, you will do as I say. Mm. Yeah, moving moving away from yeah, that's the dictatorial parents. I've yeah. heard it come out of my mouth a couple of times. Go, Why can't I? Because I said so. And it's like, oh, what a stupid answer. Like, but, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> you have to be quick and go, well, you're going to do it like that. And we can talk about it later. Yeah. They might forget and you might forget. And then that's highly likely. And you got away one, with one it One final again. question. And this is, I, I think you've already answered, but I just want to ask it anyway, if that's all right, if you'll entertain me. Um, siblings fighting and addressing that. It seems like if I'm to answer my own question based on what you've said, it's more about ha- having the patience, like you said, with the bike example there to discuss it with each other. Because so often when they're in fighting, like I come in and I just see them fighting. I'm like, Rah! stop fighting which is obviously ridiculous because it just puts yeah, more fuel on the fire i just i just i just in my head it's houston we have a problem that's what i say let's slow it all down let's let's find out Let, nobody's right nobody's wrong everybody's got feelings let's see what compromises we can make so nobody's a winner nobody's a loser and that we can help all our feelings you might think i haven't got time to do that oh boy once you've done it three or four times they will be sorting out disputes on their own because they will know how to do it. And if they see you and your partner sorting out disputes like that, sort of like, I feel this, you feel that, how can we get to a place where neither of us feel too bad and and we can move forward? If they can see that's how you do disputes, that's how you deal with difference. You don't have winners and losers. If they've got that, that example with you, and then you teach them by slowing everything right down so everybody knows how they feel. Then, you know, group hugs all around everyone. Ah, oh, Philippa, like, I just want to, like, can I get a memory stick and just, like, upload hey, everything you said there? Because it just sounds so enlightening. I, how think you talk- I, do, I think I can do this stuff because I'm basically four years old. And Brilliant. I've never grown up. So I, luckily, I know what it's like to be four. And I, <laughs> I can work from there. That's, that's basically it. It's kind. It's kind of like like when I try to think when I'm trying to remind myself of everything I've just learned from you, and not to say that I've learned, I've theoretically learned is like stop treating my kid almost like a kid. Like it's a relationship that they they need to be seen. They need to be seen where they're at. I need to empathize with their emotions. I need to be treat them like a proper. You know, not trying to manipulate them. Yeah, they're of course. And it sounds when I say and all that, it sounds stupid because of course I should. And they need a lot of your attention, a lot of your attention. But don't worry, there'll come a time when you need a lot of theirs. Mm. And if you've given a lot of attention, 
You never know it might come back. Oh, I like I no. like that. I like that. Fill up I your book. I, said, I think I said in my book, actually, having a kid is like, you know, you walk down the road and at first you've got a toddler that takes tiny little steps and goes like, like one mile a day. It's like, oh God, this is slow. And then around about age five or six, you can walk at the same pace. And then for the rest of your life, you're running to catch up. Well, that's what it's like. And when they're about 17, you're running to catch up. But I tell you, the nicest thing in the world is having an adult-to-adult relationship with your child. So that they're your adult, if you know what I mean. And that bond, because no one will know you better than they do. Wow. And it's so beautiful being known like that. And don't worry. You will be loved, even if you've not let them have a computer or you were too scared to let them have a smartphone until they were 21. That's a lovely aspiring dream. I, yeah, I the hair is standing up in the back of my and neck. When you don't let them have a smartphone, don't say, no, you're not having a smartphone. Say, I'm too scared to give you a smartphone. Yeah, that's Make a... it about you because it is about you. It really is like all of those Philippa, things. you're amazing. I that really, was. I'm going to listen back to this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but I really love you for who you, well, everything you've been today, you're wonderful. Thank yeah, you. And I'm sure the other aspects kind. are too. You're yeah. very kind. And you two don't look old enough to have children. Philip, <laughs> 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 your book, just for anyone who's listening, you know, the book you wish your parents had read and your children would be glad you did. Uh, bestseller, amazing book. Can you just tell anyone listening where they can learn more about it or etc.? Yes, my book, the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did, is available from airports, WH Smith, Waterstones, Amazon, and hive and anywhere else and basically it's about how to have the best possible relationship with your child because that's what your child needs more than anything else can't emphasize that enough yeah thank you philip you've made it really clear like you really have it's like thanks yeah like the big bits are the ones to focus on beautiful picture big picture yeah, yeah, it's great. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me on. Oh, it's your Keep pleasure. Thank you. The good work, and uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you both. Likewise, Likewise. Philip. And we're both we're with Penguin Life with Julia and with Emily as well. So I think oh, I'm yeah. having lunch with Julia today. Oh, oh! Cool! <laughs> send on our love. I will do. I will right. do. That's I right. Just as good looking as she said you were. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, Thank you for. Thank you, Thank you, Thanks so much. Bye bye. bye. Thanks again. Uh, thanks so much for listening to that. Philippa is amazing and there were so many truths that really resonate with me. Uh, For anyone who just wants a quick recap, you know, really important, the difference in teaching boys versus girls and re-educating them to listen to our children. This was something that I really got and learned from them. For me, not to try to tell my children's all for their feelings and their needs and to really acknowledge them. Uh, To not take a teenager's dislike for you personally. They're trying to find their own tribe. Uh, And finally... 
Um, meet all your kids where they're at. Like actually meet them where you're at and empathize with them. So they were some of the takeaways we got. As we said, I, I will definitely listen to this again and again because these are, I think, parenting is so habitual and we really, I need to be more conscious as a parent and it was great. Yeah, Philip's book, the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did. Oh, there was one final one which I loved was the uh, saying things in I rather than not you as yeah. in I don't feel I'm ready for you to have a smartphone you know and I thought that was really, yeah, was really brilliant. good. Anyway let us know what you think on social uh, tag us on Instagram if you watch it on a story and um, yeah wishing you a great week ahead. Thanks Mill for listening. Bye. Cheers. Bye.